Hello and welcome to the August 17th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Everybody and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe, and it is wonderful to have everybody here with me this evening. And of course, it's great to be out there with you. So, as I was just recording my introduction, something very interesting popped up on my phone. And while you all know that Mr. Joe is rarely political, and rarely do I get into religion. Uh, one of the things that just um, that I've I've started to do just kind of popped up on my phone because this is the time that I have set my alarm, or at least set a reminder to go on every single night at this time. And the reminder comes up, and it tells me to pray. And again, I don't want to get religious on everybody, but my belief in my God and whatever God you believe in or whether you don't believe in God that's that's perfectly fine that's up to you but I know that through my toughest times in my life when I found a connection to my particular religion that is really what ultimately got me through my biggest struggles in life and now that I look back, I have to say to myself and wonder, what are those my biggest struggles in life? And one of the things I always struggled with internally was I I always felt that I only turned to God and religion when I was down and out, when I was hurting, when I needed help. And I always promised myself and promised whoever I speak to um, and, I, and again, I put it this way because I don't want to offend anybody if you believe in something different than me. So I'm trying to be very general with the way I talk about things. Um, but I, I promised myself this time around that when things get better, I am not going to lose sight of my religion. And while it may seem a little bit strange or for lack of better terms, tacky. I don't even know if that's the appropriate word to use. The fact that I am now setting an alarm or setting a reminder every night to remind me to pray, um, I felt that it was necessary. You know, this is in this day and age, in this life that we live in, we forget to do a lot of stuff. I mean, think about it. Sometimes we forget to take our medication. Sometimes we forget to throw out the garbage. Sometimes we forget to pay a bill. I mean, these are things that go on. And and you know what? I set reminders for everything. Believe it or not, <laughs> last night I got a reminder about my recycling. That goes out today. If I didn't get that reminder, I would have forgot. So it, it's not an offensive thing towards my religion. It's just something that I want to remember on a daily basis, and because life is it moves so quickly, 
you tend to forget. And you know what? Since I have put this reminder into my phone, I have never missed a night in terms of saying my prayers and asking for forgiveness and um, thanking the, the higher power that I believe in and, of course, asking for some guidance and help and, and at the same time saying that I know whatever this, whatever reason this is all happening to Mr. Joe for, there's got to be a good reason. And, um, and that's the more important thing right now. So that's what came up on my phone while I was recording my introduction, my pray. So what I did was I certainly didn't dismiss it. I kind of put it on snooze because, listen, I'm going to be tired after this podcast. I'm going to want to crawl into bed and call it a night. And you know what? If I don't have that reminder, there's a good chance that I'm going to forget to pray. And you know what? I don't have to sit. I don't have to kneel down and do it for a half hour. 30 seconds, a minute, whatever your body and your mind can handle for that particular night. That's what works for me. may not work for you. And if it doesn't, I don't take any offense to it. Um, So for me, though, it has certainly been... um, it's gotten me through over the last couple of weeks and without it I don't really know how I would uh, be surviving what is going on in my life with that being said uh, some good things are happening and I'll get into that in a minute last time we we ended the podcast I made a comment about my mother and I thought it was important that I address something with my audience and a decision that I have made And the decision was based on a conversation that I had with my best friend in the world, Tad. And, uh, of course, again, that's not his real name, but we're going to call him Tad for the sake of this podcast. And Tad had a long talk with myself and my sister. And I will tell you this, that my sister listened to absolutely none of it, and I can't blame her. And believe it or not, while we were listening... I happen to be in complete agreement with my sister because Dad told us that basically the way he described it was this. Our parents, my parents, they are set in their ways and they don't know any better but to drink and to cope in that way. And as I grew up, as as screwed up as my life might have been, there's one thing that I could not deny and that was the fact that both my parents loved me very much. And... The way they project their love on me now may not be what I want, may not be what I expect, may not be fair to others or even myself for that matter, but it is what it is. And you only got one set of parents. And I thought about it. And the very next day, I actually reached out to my parents. And they're saying, listen, we've been down this road a million times already. They cried, I cried, you know, and, and, and these are sincere feelings. I miss my parents. I miss them to death. I really do. I mean, there's a part of me that almost says to myself, I wish they were dead in the sense where at least there would be closure. And of course, I don't mean it like that. I don't want them to die. But if they were not on this earth anymore, it might be a little bit easier because knowing that they're only 20 minutes away from Mr. Joe's neighborhood still living in Mr. Joe's old neighborhood, 
in which I could turn to my parents at any time, in a time of trouble, in a time of need, in a time where I want to give to them. And believe me, my, I loved I loved buying presents, I loved showing love, I loved writing cards, I loved all those things. As screwed up as my life might have been, there was a lot of normalcy that I don't speak about on this podcast. And there was, there was. Um, so I reached out, and this time around what I had said to my mom was, you know, Mom, I cannot speak for anybody else. What I could tell you right now is that life is too short. I may not agree with everything that you do. As a matter of fact, the next time we're together and we see each other, you're probably not going to want to hear anything that I have to say. And that's fine. You can get mad. You can ignore me. Whatever it may be. But you know what? I'm still going to be your son and I'm not going to take any offense to it. And we'll just continue our relationship in the best way that we know how. But as for everybody else, my wife included, your grandchildren, my sister, you cannot tell them when to forgive or when to forget. As a matter of fact, nobody's ever going to forget. And if they're not ready to forgive because they're either hurt or angry, nobody has a right to tell somebody else when they are supposed to resolve their own feelings. And I tried to explain that to her, and she agreed with me, but sadly enough, I've told her this before many, many times. And it's almost like it goes in one ear and out the other, because she's already now, my birthday is coming up, and I told her I'd be more than happy to see them, just me. Nobody else, just me. And already, she's calling up this weekend, oh, I want to take you and the kids, go out to dinner for your birthday, and I'm just like, oh, God, here we go. It's almost like she forgot everything that I said. But I'll tell you this, and this is obviously not why I called my parents, um, but because it's almost like it was meant to be in a sense where I spoke with them, you know, we quote-unquote made up, and then this horrific thing happened with my job, my former job, and when I told my parents about it, just, again, looking for support, looking for somebody to talk to. If your parents care, and although they may have a funny way of showing it, if your parents care, they are going to understand, and they're going to hurt when you hurt. And they're going to support you in the best way that they know how. And that's why I end my podcast like that, especially knowing that I am mentally ill. And my parents both know that I'm mentally ill. And I know that they worry about me every single day. Whether they're mentally ill or not, they certainly know that I am mentally ill. And as a parent, that's got to hurt. It's got to hurt because I know this. When I think about my daughter just experiencing anxiety alone, I know what I used to feel like. And you never want your child to feel pain. Learn lessons, yes. Grow up, yes. But when you suffer a mental illness, when you suffer anxiety and panic attacks and bipolar and mood swings and depression and mania and OCD and hallucinations and paranoia, delusions, when you suffer from all those things and then you find out the beautiful thing that you created, that you brought into this world, 
is now experiencing some of the same things that you are, it's horrible. It's horrible because you never want your child to hurt. And my parents know that I struggle with all of those things. And it hurts them. So when I told them about my um, situation with my job, of course, they were very supportive. And we called it a day, and that was it. And about two days later, I went to my mailbox. I opened it up, and it was a birthday card. And I will tell everybody right now, okay? And please believe me when I tell you that without this generous gift for my birthday quote-unquote, gift for my birthday. It was more of a, yeah, son, you know what? We know what kind of position you're in, so happy birthday, but it's really because if I don't give this to you, and this is what I was going to say, I would be in a lot of trouble. I wouldn't be able to feed my children. That's the God's honest truth. That's how bad things have gotten. I wouldn't be able to feed my children. I wouldn't be able to pay child support. I wouldn't be able to pay a mortgage. It would be really, really bad. And you know what? I opened up that card. And while it may not seem like a lot to people out there, um, it seems like a hell of a lot to me. And sadly, in this day and age, it's only going to get me by for about a month, month and a half based on child support, based on a mortgage. Um, They gave me a $5,000 check. And I'm extremely thankful and grateful, and it's just amazing. It really is. So, do we forgive? Do we forget? It's very, very hard sometimes. It really is. And I got to tell you, I have this, these past couple of days, I probably have gotten more emails than I've ever gotten in my life. In, in regards to this particular podcast. And I promise each and every one of you I will be writing back. Well, one particular email stood out to me, um, and I'm not going to mention names, but people certainly out there have very similar problems to me. Family members, whether it be sisters, brothers, mothers, fathers, who engage in some of the same kind of actions that my mother does. And a lot of times there are substances involved, there are drugs involved, there's drinking involved. and Sometimes it's hard to even give an answer because people blame us. People struggle with alcohol, they try to get clean, they get clean, and then all of a sudden they start drinking again. And guess what? You could have been the most supportive person in the world throughout it all, but they start to get angry with you because... You're the one that's now pushing them to stop doing what they love to do. And really, it doesn't even have to be what they love to do. It's what they need to do in order to cope with their stress and their anxiety and their addiction. And so now all of a sudden, you become the reason why they're drinking and why they're doing drugs. And it's just a vicious cycle. It really is. Just an absolutely vicious cycle. So, um, my theory is... If if you can have a loved one treat you with respect, I'm not saying kiss your butt. I'm not saying shower you with gifts. I'm not saying even call you every day or 
listen to everything that you have to say. I am not even saying to stay sober. If they can just show you respect in one way or another, and if they are your parents, I've come to the conclusion that there's no reason why I cannot forgive and forget because you only live once. And things get bad, you know, i got to distance myself a little bit, I will, but guess what? I'm always going to go back. I'm always going to go back. I'm always going to go back at one point or another. And whether it's a week from today or two weeks or a month, they are my parents. And I miss them and I love them. Now, if you cannot get any respect from somebody that you care about and they are not willing to put in the work just to give you respect, that's a whole different story. That's something that's very hard to get through, which is why I am not expecting my wife to forgive and forget, because my mother refuses to give my wife the respect that she deserves. And by respect, again, I don't mean that she has to do anything other than respect her privacy, respect the fact that she's a new mom, that she's busy, and that we, or slash my wife, cannot bow down to her every becking call just when she feels like it, usually when she's either drunk and it's been a few weeks that nobody's talked to her. And then when my wife doesn't talk to her, all of a sudden it's, you know, borderline personality comes out and the yelling and the screaming and the isolation and you hate me and what did I do to you? You son of a you know what? You're a devil. You're a witch. And, you know, it just it, it turns into an absolute nightmare. She doesn't really do that to me. And if she has, it's only been a handful of times in my life. Um, you know, I've played some things on the air for you when it's happened, and it gets you angry, and it gets you upset for the moment. Um, but, again, if for the most part these people are showing you respect, especially your parents, my motto will be going forward to always have them in my life in one way or another. And, again, if things get bad, maybe it means once a month I check in. Maybe it means when... She gets all bent out of shape and calls drunk and starts insulting me. I just say to myself, you know what? I used to do the same damn thing. The difference is she refuses to get the help that she needs. And why? She's in her 60s. She's past that point. She's not getting help. And guess what? She's going to die without knowing her grandchildren. And if that's the choice she wants to make, so be it. But she can't hold it against me anymore because her actions are her actions and she is responsible for her actions. And I think, don't you think that's punishment enough in its own right? That by me not speaking to her, I mean, what good is that? I'm just going to give her a double punishment? Allow her to screw up her own life? endure the consequences of her screw-ups, and then on top of that, completely dismiss my mother and make her suffer even more, when in fact, as much as a lunatic and a wackadoo that she might be, deep down inside, she feels about her son the exact same way that I feel about my children. 
And that's, they don't want anything to ever hurt me. Um, now, if they are claiming they do want things to hurt you, if they're claiming that you're to blame, if they're claiming that you're the reason for their problems and their drinking, and guess what? They're telling you those things when they're drunk. And their mind is altered. And that's what helps them get through. It puts them into a state of denial. And they lash out. And that's very common when it comes to substance abuse and alcohol. And I did that for a long time. You know, if my marriage was better, I wouldn't be snorting cocaine. Okay, well, you know what? That's, that sounds idiotic. Now, I, I won't lie. The fact that my marriage was a disaster before I remarried this time around, it contributed to my cocaine use. But I promise you, even during the good times, and what I mean is good times is when my ex-wife would just let me go out and hang out with my buddies and play cards, I was still doing drugs. So bad times, good times, didn't matter. Happy, sad, anxious, excited. Still did drugs. You did drugs because you needed to level out your brain because I had bipolar disorder. I still have bipolar disorder and I'll always have bipolar disorder. But with the proper medication and the proper regimen of medication, you can get through things such as what I got through over the past couple of days. And I've promised you that I'd keep you updated. And one of the reasons why it's taken me a couple of days is because I've been very busy. Now, I don't want to bore you with the details, but I am going to say this. Two days ago, I was called in for an interview for a fourth grade co-teaching class. And simply what that means is I would be the special educator. There would be about 40% of special education children. The other 60% would be a general education population. And there would also be a regular education teacher in the room. So there'd be two teachers. And we'd have to feed off one another and run the lesson plans. And with co-teaching, I'm there for the support of the special ed, special ed kids. But you're still an entire part of that classroom. You're not just responsible for special ed. You're there to support them. But you're as equally important as the regular teacher and you're expected to do just as many things in terms of teaching lessons and interacting with all the children. And um, So I found it fascinating that for so many years I had um, put my resume online and searched for district jobs and never really took anything too seriously. And... I, I got to tell you, within a day or two of my resume being online and possibly on one of the hardest websites in terms of school districts calling you back and even reading your resume, I mean, you're lucky. It's like one in a million, literally. It's like hitting the lottery. And I put my resume on, and then all of a sudden I got a phone call. I got a phone call, and they said they'd like you to come in for an interview. And there was my first thought process. Dear God, there's the door that's opening. And I was scared to death. This is a man who speaks in front of 200 people without even blinking an eye. But you know what? I'm able to speak about autism and behaviors and um, you know things that I'm familiar with. By, by trade, I am a special education teacher. I am certified birth until 
12th grade, and I am also eligible to work with adults. And you would think that having that background, being a teacher, going in for an interview, no problem. No problem at all. The problem is I have been a consultant for so many years, about 18, 19 years, and my classroom management, while it's great in terms of helping out for behaviors and and altering classrooms so that we can help children with autism and being a part of all those classrooms. Just like I mentioned with the co-teaching, as the consultant, I was only okay with things if I was allowed to come in and interact with the children. I was not okay with sitting in the back, writing notes, giving strategies and saying, here, do this, call me in a week, tell me how it goes. Instead, Mr. Joe would say, no, you watch me, you practice what I do, we figure it out together, you give me your ideas, I'll give you mine, and then we'll strategize together, and then ultimately I'm the final decision maker because I'm the behavior specialist. And if you don't like what I say, guess what? We could work on it some more. And that was the type of consultant that I am and the type of consultant that I'll always be. But if you haven't been teaching for a long time, and I have not taught since the year 2001 as an actual teacher. Well, let me just say this interview two days ago, this lady looked at me like I was a complete wackadoo. She First and foremost, she turned to me and she said, what are you doing here? She said, you haven't taught in 20 years. Why are you here? And I said, this is what I want to do. This is what I went to school for. And Again, I'm not going to bore you with the interview, but ultimately um, it was funny because then she started to ask me about teaching terms and co-teaching terms and things that you know she thought she was going to get me on. And to be honest, one of them she did. Because I, you know, she turned to me and she said, "You know, you got to be able to teach a lesson." And I, I have no doubt that you're great with special education and behaviors and low functioning and high functioning, blah blah blah. She said, "But what what would you do if I said teach a differential lesson plan?" And I didn't know what it meant. And I said to her, "I go listen. I don't know what it means, but because I'm a rather intelligent man, I could." probably use my common sense and come up with what it is if you give me an opportunity to answer and I did and I was right and and it just basically means giving students um, different opportunities to learn using different interventions while what might work for some students might not work for others and um, you know possibly altering some of the techniques that you use I guess the simplest thing I could say is Let's say one group of children, uh, or one child in particular, is struggling with his multiplication. Um, Maybe you put a chart down on the desk. The other ones don't need it, but this particular child um, needs some help with a multiplication table. And you kind of bounce those ideas off your co-teacher and you do it together. And... So she she told me that when I get called back to the panel, I better be studying and know my stuff. <laughs> so we'll see what happens if I even get called back to the panel. Then yesterday, as a matter of fact, after I went for that interview, while I was in in the interview, I got another phone call from another school. And they 
decided not only to skip over my interview, but to call me in for a demo lesson. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And then they they told me the position was for special education high school science, chemistry, and math. And I nearly had, listen, if you've heard Mr. Joe, (laughs) I can't even subtract or add when it comes to years. Okay, you've heard it all. So while I said yes, before I prepared the lesson, which was going to be a science lesson, I called back the person who I had originally scheduled with for 9 o'clock in the morning yesterday. I said, you know, I've been thinking, and I don't want to waste your time or my time. I couldn't be more honest when I say this to you. I couldn't teach fifth grade math if you asked me to. So the fact that even though it's an altered curriculum because they are special ed, there is not a chance in the world that I could teach math, so I won't be coming in tomorrow. Well, the response was, we'd like you to come in anyway because the position might change and there'll be more opportunities for you next year. I said, whoa, or even this year. I said, okay. So I was up till midnight preparing a science lesson on biomes and how animals survive in that particular biome. And if you don't know what a biome is, don't worry, because I didn't have a damn clue up until last night. And my children have been making fun of me for years, and they would ask me, what's a biome? What's a biome? They would tell me, and the next time around, I'd forget, probably because I smoked so much marijuana, I couldn't remember. Well, my wife taught me everything, and now it's finally stuck. And I went, and I did a demo lesson. So I hope you're proud of me, Mr. Joe's audience. It took a lot of courage And I was scared to death about both of these things. Absolutely petrified. I hardly slept. And when I did sleep, all I did was dream about what I had to do. Meanwhile, the first interview, I was in and out in 15 minutes. And it wasn't because I was bad. It was because I answered everything. And uh, apparently all the interviews were 15 minutes. So it was kind of like a screening process instead. And I made it through. And when I was done, I was like, well, that wasn't so bad. Well, the mock demo lesson, my goodness. It wasn't my luck because the head of biology happened to be one of the observers. And when I tell you, she gave me a run for my money. She put me on the spot about everything. And in the end, you could tell that Mr. Joe was certainly not a science teacher, (laughs) with no doubt. Now, listen, if you give me a month in a classroom other than math, I could learn all that stuff. I'd be better with English. And I'd be better with history, although I know nothing about history, but that you could really teach out of a book. You get a curriculum. After a month, I'd catch on. I'd be fine, even with science, even though I don't know anything about science. Give me a book. Give me a curriculum. In a month, I'd be fine. But off the bat, man, I look like a complete fool. So what it comes down to is I know this. This is where I belong. I belong in a classroom teaching special education but only with autism, possibly some of the disabilities sprinkled in there if need be, but everybody in that particular room is going to be um, using applied behavior analysis. And I don't want to get bore you to death with what that is. Basically, it's one-on-one discrete trial teaching with the hopes that you could eventually generalize the concepts and teach these children in a group, which a lot of times is not even able to happen. But that's where I belong. So I have to start gearing myself up towards 
looking at that. And you know what? I better gear myself up real quick because guess what phone call I got after my demo lesson? Well, unemployment called me. They call me up and they say, uh, yeah, we'd like to know why you were terminated from your company. I said, well, they told me I put the wrong dates and on, on a reference seven years ago. He goes, huh, that's interesting. I'm reading what they wrote here for your termination. That's not what it says. It says, you falsified the fact that you were an ABA provider and that you were certified. And because of that, we are denying your health insurance, uh, your unemployment insurance. <laughs> I said, you have got to be kidding me. I said, listen, I am going to fax you all of the stuff that will prove to you that I passed the test, that I am certified to teach ABA for early intervention, for CPSE, for CSE. The only thing I'm not allowed to do is call myself a board-certified behavior analyst or a, a behavior analyst. I can't use those terms because the rules have changed, nor have I ever done that. But according to 2006, I was certified to teach ABA. So he says to me, did you get a certificate? I said, actually, no. I said, the way it works is I have a number of somebody for, from, let's say, the um, particular Mr. Joe's neighborhood, but spread across the entire state of Mr. Joe's neighborhood. There's a certain number you call, you check in, you make sure that this particular person passed what's called the Module 1 test. And if that person did, they are certified to teach an ABA. He says, well, I'm not doing that. In order to prove to me that you're certified, you need to show me a certificate. I said, excuse me, but just because you're certified in something doesn't mean that you're always going to get a certificate. Certification simply means that you know something and you've learned something enough where it can be proven that you are capable of doing that particular thing. Doing that thing in a well-suited um, manner. Let's put it that way. So, you know, most certifications do come with some kind of a, you know, some kind of a, 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 a piece of paper. But there are some that don't. In this case, they don't. Uh, so, whatever, I, I, I sent them over an email that showed that I passed the test and that I did get certified, and I don't know if the man is even going to look at it, to be honest with you, and at this point, I really don't care. I really just don't care. I mean, what am I going to do? How much more? When it rains, it pours, and I know that's cliche. I know it's cliche, but... You know, what am I going to do? Unfortunately, I may have to go back to my parents and ask them for a little bit more money because I went into my very first independent contracting opportunity today. I met with an, a company that I worked with for for 20 years, and I loved them 20 years ago. And when I tell you that walking into that office that used to be just one office is now three offices... They've grown, they've expanded, and they're nicer than they've ever been. And I had the interview. They signed me up right then and there. As a matter of fact, um, there are three different, four different kinds of work that I'll be doing. And one of the work loads 
there is actually, it's considered to be an employee. So I will be an employee and a 1099 through this company. In addition, there is another company in which I was hired for, um, for contracting work. So w here's what happens. The reason why I can't start yet is they have to do a child abuse and neglect registry check or a state register check to make sure that I've never been accused or not accused because I certainly have been accused before that's for sure if that was the case I'd never get a job again and indicated in a child abuse meaning that I've never been proven guilty to abuse or neglect children now again if that was the case where it was just um, accused I'd come right up because of my own two children and what my ex-wife had done to me uh, obviously I was cleared did everything that I had to do but if it was just being accused I would never have a job again so that I know takes a long time to come back and that's what's going to hold me up sometimes it takes three weeks sometimes it could take up to six weeks that's a long time and now this this other company that I walked in today the employee portion of when I get paid it will happen every month the other three things that I'll be doing and when I say three things, everything just happens to be whether it's a different age group and for the particular thing there where I'll be an employee, that happens to be me utilizing my special education certification. I can, these particular cases you cannot teach unless you are certified as a teacher in special education. Um, so, um, I'll get paid every month for that, but the other ones, God, I gotta wait every other month, which is pretty crazy, which is why I may have to ask for some more money. Now, the other thing is the other company, which seems to be moving a little bit more slow. I'm, I'm in there as well. They've actually assigned me to a whole bunch of schools come September. Um, the other good thing is uh, one of my buddies, and we'll call him Meatball. Um, he works for that company. And again, I worked for them also 20 years ago. Apparently, they do bi-weekly checks now. So it might all work out. It really might. As a matter of fact, you know what? It's going to work out. This is what I did for 13 years. And the only reason why I stopped is because my ex-wife obtained an order of protection against me when I was coming off an antidepressant Cymbalta. I had to leave my home, and because there was an order of protection against my ex-wife, the state automatically gets involved, and they placed an order of protection against me from my children. And when the state came to talk to me about my past, I told them that I had been clean since 2007, I believe this was 2011 this went on. I said, I'm clean from cocaine since 2007. I'm clean from opiates since 2009. I'm on Suboxone still. Oh, wait, oh, well, you're a drug addict. Oh, now you can't see your kids. Now, again, I was given the wrong information because I was being indicated for child abuse and neglect, and I had to go to court and fight that even though my ex-wife started writing all kinds of letters, you're stopping my husband from working, this is not what I intended, he is not an abuser, he's not a neglector, they had indicated me for all of that stuff, 
And the only way for me to fight it was through family court. And I had a, um, you know, a, a, a state-appointed lawyer who was actually great. And the whole time, I was not working. I actually went down for disability. I was granted right on the spot. And then I realized if I take this and, and I get $900 a month, I won't even be able to feed my dog if that's the case. I said, so i got to get back to work. The problem is I can't work because I'm being indicated. Well, I found out later that because it was a pending issue in a court, a family court, I could have been working that whole time. Had no idea. Meanwhile... I was told by the government official who would come to my house and check in on me was that I couldn't work, that my name would pop up. And it wasn't until I went to an administrative hearing and I said, you know, I haven't been working. And he goes, why haven't you been working? I said, well, because of this. He goes, you're not, fa- you're not guilty until proven guilty. He said, you could have been working this whole time. So that was horrifying. And, um, you know, I, I, I mean, basically because I had left those agencies or companies high and dry for the most part, I had to leave them either because I was so bipolar and screwed up so many times, um, you know, with women, never with the children, but with women and absences and, you know, me too busy doing drugs, things of that nature. Um, I, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't have the nerve to go back. And think about it, I was still unmedicated. And at the, and that time, I was probably blaming everybody. As a matter of fact, I could almost guarantee I blamed every single person for my problem or problems. So as I was coming off Suboxone the first time around, I started to look for a job that was a full-time gig with benefits. And I found it, what I thought to be the, the job of my dreams in which I was just let go of on January 31st for, again, absolutely no reason. A company that you think would back you until the bitter end. I, I just, again, I can't, we can't wrap our heads around it. We really can't. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. The good news is that I am moving forward. The other good news is that I have decided like I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, that I am going to forgive and I am going to never forget the things that my mother has done to me, to my children, to my wife, to my ex-wife even for that matter. I'm not going to forget them. But I am going to forgive her. And I'm going to have to, again, make her understand what other people want from her. And right now, that's absolutely nothing. I will never be abused again and if I am I take a little time away but I always know that I'm going to go back I don't want to play that game anymore because she is mentally ill and that is the way that I have to support her is find find the time in my life to call, to check in, even if it's just a phone call. And if things get bad in terms of her mental illness and her drinking, I just need to step back. Might make her even more angry. So be it. At this point in my life, I know what to expect. I know what to expect. And you know what? It still doesn't make a difference. I still love my mother and I still love my father. And I told them, when we get together, you're not going to like what I have to say. 
these are the reasons why you are not going to be accepted by my wife and my children. And she's going to get mad at me. She's going to yell at me. She's going to blame me. How could you allow them to do that? Well, meanwhile, it's been—it's all her fault. It's not my fault. She's the one that caused this. And here it is. Here's the summary about my mom. She has borderline personality disorder. She's not medicated. In addition to that, she is a full-blown alcoholic who is married to an alcoholic and at the age of 60s the low 60s my mother and my father I believe in his mid to upper 60s that's not changing now it's never too late to change but I just don't think that that is going to change ever no matter what I say so why don't I just stop wasting my breath and just realize that when the months go by, the, the weeks go by, I, no matter how vicious my mother can be, I still start to miss her because she's my mother. And because I know the way that I used to be and how long it took me to admit that I needed help. And she may never admit it. Probably because of her age, like I said. Me, I had a whole life to live, and I had been bashing my head in too many times. Too many walls, too many bruises, too many bloody heads. Uh, just, you know, too young to be doing that stuff. Another kid on the way, 15-month-old, two other children. I mean, they were starting to see it all, all over again. Even during the months in which I thought I had stability, or in the years that I thought I had stability, I had no stability. It's all just a false sense of what you think is going on in your life and around the world that you live in, which is an altered, crazy world as compared to other people when you have bipolar disorder and you're not medicated. Your depression is a nightmare, and your mania is like a made-up story. It's like a made-up story. None of it's real. Feels great when it's happening. But the end result of it is usually a bad thing. Usually a combination of bad things that you do based on your mania. And that's what happens with my mother. She does a lot of bad stuff. Makes a lot of annoying, vicious phone calls. And I need to support my wife, and I need to support my sister, and I refuse to say to them, you know what, for me, just make up with mom and dad. I'm not doing it. Absolutely not doing it, because it's not my place. She's done enough damage and caused enough hurt in her life that I do not have a right to tell people that I am either married to or relative to or even friends with, I do not have a right to tell them how to maintain a relationship with anybody. So, you decide. You decide what's best for you. You decide what's best for your family. 
And there is no right or wrong answer. I'm not saying that you have to live by Mr. Joe's rules now and forgive. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just telling you what I'm doing. I'm giving you my opinion. And if you if you listen to this and you say, you know what, I completely disagree. My mother has been a nightmare. She's an alcoholic. She's mean. She's rude. And you're not ready to forgive. And, and if you're never ready to forgive, I understand that too. But I will say this. For some reason, no matter how mean, no matter how nasty, no matter how annoying my mother might get I feel at peace with myself in knowing that I will now have my parents in my life whenever I need them and if that's just picking up a phone simply and saying hello and maybe crying to them well let it be I mean that's what I gotta do that's what parents are for but parents are cruel too so again Some of our parents are very cool, so that is the decision that is completely up to you, and I back you 100% with whatever decision that you make. I ask you to reach out to MrJoeBP at Yahoo.com. If you are unsure about some of the decisions that you have to make moving forward, we could talk about it, we could write about it. I love to write emails. Those of you who have written to me know that you always get a response, usually a pretty lengthy one. And for the many, many emails, like I said, that I have in my inbox, um, I haven't even gotten through them all, uh, but I'm reading them every night, and I plan on writing back to each and every single one of you. So please do not think that you're not going to get a Mr. Joe response. I'm looking forward to that. If you want also, you can definitely follow me on Twitter at Mr. Bipolar Joe. I haven't been on there in a whole long time, you know, on and off, popping on and off, but... Um, it's amazing because as you're depressed or you, you know, you have all these life-altering experiences, all of a sudden the things that seem to be so cool to Mr. Joe, fantasy baseball and Twitter and all those things that were kind of extracurricular bonuses that were thrown into my life, it almost makes you feel like you're not worthy of those things. Really does. Not worthy of Twitter. I don't have a job. I'm not worthy of Yahoo Fantasy Baseball. I don't have a job. You know, it's a sick way to think, but it's just the way I think. And um, now I am starting to enjoy things a little bit more because I know that there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. And I promise you this. If you have bipolar disorder and you are medicated, there will always and forever be a light at the end of your tunnel. If you are living with a mental illness and you're doing well, I ask you to continue to work hard. If you love or you care about somebody with a mental illness or even an addiction for that matter, I ask you to continue to support that person in the very best way that you know how. And if you are struggling right now with a mental illness or an addiction, I ask you to continue to fight as hard as you possibly can. And most importantly, soldier on. Thank you for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. I'll see you again real soon.